Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Dr. Alice Honig. Dr. Honig is a psychologist and a professor emerita at Syracuse University. She has presented her work in early childhood development, childcare, and education nationwide and in many countries around the world. Her contributions to the field have included research, academia, and advocacy and training for parents and caregivers. Since the 1960s, Dr. Honig has been involved in the study of child development, quality of infant-toddler care, iron deficiency in infants, parent-child relationships, children's social development, and the effects of poverty in children. For over 45 years, Dr. Honig has authored and edited more than a dozen books and more than 600 articles and chapters. Two of those books are Little Kids, Big Worries, Stress-Busting Tips for Early Childhood Classrooms, and more recently, Best for Babies, Expert Advice for Caregivers and Administrators in Assessing Infant-Toddler Programs. And now, here is our guest, Dr. Alice Honig, and our host, Rebecca Rogers. So there are three temperament types parents need to learn about. This very triggery, highly excitable kid whose threshold is reached right away and they let you know fast. And then there's the scared, slow to warm up, fearful kid. You don't just say, oh, go play in the sandbox. Everybody's having such a good time, honey. You gotta take that kid by the hand, tell her how beautiful her first sand pot is and how delicious it will turn out when she's doing pretend play of a a sand pie. Once you've left her there and she feels comfortable, then you can move away. But for that second type of temperament, You can't just say, honey, go play with the other kids. You'll have a good time. And then the third type of temperament is easygoing. In other words, uh, when I was living in Paris, I had a grandchild with me. All I had was a a yogurt cup and a tablespoon. So I took him downstairs to dig in the, the sand outside the apartment building. And a toddler came over and grabbed a spoon and ran away with it. He just shrugged. He took his hands and guess what? He started filling up yogurt pot you know with his hands and the french mother ran after and screamed to me she got back the spoon mine is an earthquake so you know that the temperament of her little one was one of those three styles and the temperament of the child i was taking care of was of a different style do you think most parents rebecca understand deeply the temperament style they have and how it might mesh and how it might have harmony or disharmony with their each child's different temperament style. Sometimes, Rebecca, I've asked at a conference, what if you had that triggery, irritable, strong response kind of temperament in your first child? People say, I never have another one, doctor. But they, nobody teaches you that. Where did they teach you that? Did they teach you that in high school, Rebecca? Not at all. Not at all. No way. Thank you. And parents are so amazed. Every child might be born with a different temperament style. Oh, you don't say. The one thing that's very important to know is research has shown us that no matter how triggery or irritable one of the three temperament styles, you happen to have one of your children. If you are nurturing and cuddling and responsive and tuned in and 
feel that this is the most delicious little creature in the world and are patient, then research particularly in Holland with 100 mothers who had such irritable little babies, when they were taught these skills of swaddling and low musical tones and cuddling and patience and understanding about temperament, then their children were just as securely attached at the end of one year as any child who had an easy temperament. But do you think we teach people when they, do you think we should have a little booklet when a baby's born, just how you, how you nurse it every two hours if it needs that, but something about its temperament and any sensory troubles, integration troubles it might have. Those are things I think parents need to know. And that's why I put them in both of these books so that caregivers, parents are trying to search for, or parents themselves can learn about two of these very important ways to look at what might be stressing your child. I think it's wonderful that you have put this information in your books because we do get training when we're about to have a child. Birthing classes, we have that. And sometimes we have the options of going to other classes to talk about nutrition. But I don't think that there is enough emphasis in truly dealing with parent-child relationship training before one has children. And I do believe that that is a missed opportunity because more and more, like you're explaining, research is showing what a crucial piece that is in the beginning of social skills for children and human beings in general. And even now with the diagnosis of autism, uh, they are finding that the child-parent relationship seems to have a significant impact in how that child continues to develop. So it's fascinating and it's incredibly important. How about children that are learning to talk and verbalize their feelings? How do we encourage them to use these tools to express what is bothering them? What would you say would be a couple of things that a parent can do? Very often, a body language of a baby will tell you, for example, it's wonderful to cool Rebecca. Who is my prettiest little kid? Who can say hi to mommy or daddy? Who can say, oh, good for you? And then all of a sudden, what happens? He turns away and gives a little oh, oh, sound of distress. Okay, his body has taught you. We did about 10 cooing turns, and he's had enough. He wants a break now. He turned his head away, and he whimpered. If an uncle is tossing a toddler in the air, and the toddler can't speak yet, and he looks happy at first, and then he starts ah, 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 with his face, do you think most grown-ups look at his face and think, I've done enough tossing in the air. He's had enough. Do you see what I mean, Rebecca? We need to watch the body language of a child. If you pick up a child and he cries being picked up and he cries being put down, some kids do that who have sensory integration troubles. Then I said to the, to the teacher in this particular center, let's see if something else works. So I picked up that baby and pushed my cheek close with that baby looking in the other direction. The baby calmed right away. So what that baby needed, you try. He needed deep touch. You know, you have three layers of touch in your skin. And the deepest one is Puccini corpuscles. You've got to go deep. You can't just give a little pat like this. You've got thump, thump, thump to bring up a burp. You've got to pat with the cheek real close to yours. And then he calmed down beautifully. But the teacher was holding him away from the body and not getting those Puccini corpuscles involved. That's why my feeling is we have so much that parents need to learn. And who, 
helps them learn that. The pediatrician's looking, is there something wrong with his guts? Is there something wrong with the ears? Is there something wrong with hearing? And as you said, they teach you how to breathe during delivery. Good, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm very glad you learned how to breathe so you didn't have too much uh, you know, anesthetic. But there were things to learn about kids in those years before they have words to tell us about their body language that could be really helpful. If a little kid has just been building and now the director of the daycare says, it's time to go outside, kids. She picks him up and the teacher said, Dr. Honig, why is he looking like that? He had been building a tower. What was he scared of? He leaves the room and goes out with her. What might happen? Well, somebody might come in and knock down his building. She said, oh, honey, it'll be here when you come back. And she sails out with him. But we need as caregivers to think if there's stress on the face, you know, that lip that goes out or the eyes with a line, the body tells you so much. I've seen kids with eye twitches from being punitively handled. I've seen them with hunched shoulders. I've seen them with biting their nails till they bleed. And that father who had a PhD and was brilliant would say to his kid, if you get your beautiful white suit on the way to church dirty, you know, some parents just abandon their kids. You don't talk that way. He was a brilliant scientist. He was a charming host. This was in a different country, not in America. But you don't say those things to kids. So she bit her nails down. And then he said, kids who really love their parents don't do that to their fingers. I told you kids develop habits to bring down stress. So when you see something that looks worrisome, think to yourself, I gotta be a good Sherlock Holmes of kids. What's going on here? Maybe you won't be able to figure it out. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't be able to help if, it is, if it's severe enough and you'll need extra help, outside help that's more professional. But at least try to be the best Sherlock Holmes for your child that you can be. So that's why I thought I would then uh, like to talk about ways in which we can be helpful to our kids who have stress. This is your host, Rebecca. And now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com improvement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387 extension 101 that again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 for an initial free phone consultation lifestyle improvement occupational therapy we're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed as a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. 
a healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. why I thought I would then uh, like to talk about ways in which we can be helpful to our kids who have stress. The first is no developmental norms. Some people will say, he's not toilet trained. He's still in diapers at four, Dr. Honig. Turns out a lot of little boys are still in diapers at four years of age. I know one five-year-old who turned out to be brilliant in college. He said, when I go to visit grandma and grandpa for Christmas, I'll get out of diapers. And he did. You never can tell what a kid will say. You ask why kids are interesting, they say things grown-ups don't say. I find them fascinating. If you know developmental norms, Rebecca, then you'll know what we what I personally professionally call narrow windows, like the child's hand is like this, then half opened at three, four months, then you start to do more raking, then you start to do more inferior pincer prehension. By 10 to 12 months, you can pick up a piece of dust under the living room couch or a Cheerio with pure, sophisticated pincer prehension vertically. Suppose a child is 15 months and is still doing raking. I'd be very scared. I call that a narrow window for developmental norms because I expected in much earlier. But if a child is still in diapers and he's a male child particularly, and he's still wearing diapers at night, three, four, no, that's a wide window. And some windows are really pushed by your genetics. Some kids are born with one tooth. Other kids don't have a tooth till 12 months. Some kids walk. I've seen on a home visit, a child walk at six months. I've seen children walk perfectly normally who got a PhD or an MD at 18 months. Do you see the difference between a narrow, with what I'm calling professionally a narrow window and a wide window. So you need developmental norms. That's the first one. And then you need to know when shall I worry? When shall I wonder? When shall I go for professional help? And you need to make your voice tones very luring and alluring. So my favorite four-letter word for caregivers is to lure. L-U-R-E. There are lots of other four-letter words in this world, but I like lure because you can lure a child by saying, Mr. Diaper is calling for you. He wants you to come here. Mr. Diaper saying, come on up here, I have a fresh diaper for you. And the kid who just said, no, 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 because his daddy called him to change his diapers at age two, all of a sudden thinks, Mr. Diaper's calling to me. So another one is the sense of humor. And then uh, use your child's name a lot when you're talking to him or her. Use musical tone of voice. Use a teachable moment. For example, one mother came and said, I'm an artist, Dr. Honig, and I really admire that because I can't draw anything. I can sing less, but I can't draw. And she said, I did a beautiful little sketch of my daughter and she's five and she tore the paper. So the next time when she did a drawing, I tore her paper and I asked her, how did that feel? That was a pretty difficult thing for the mom to do, but it hurt the mom a lot. And the child learned, we have to be careful of what we do because we could hurt another person and we don't want to be hurt. We need to teach empathy, empathy for someone 
because we learn that we don't like when something happens to us. We need to offer choices. I got a call from our child care center many years ago. Dr. Honig, this little boy will not take a nap. We're going crazy. We teachers need our lunchtime so we can relax from stress of teaching. So I said, okay, let's use a choice question. What do you mean? I said, stand with him at the cop and ask him, where do you want to put your head down for your nap before we put your blankie on? At this end of the cot or would you prefer that end of the cot? Which do you choose? And he looked and he looked and he said, this end of the cot, teacher. She said, that's a very good choice. He lay down, they could have lunch and we're fine. So I don't mean 10 choices and I don't mean saying, would you like Fruit Loops or something else? You want to say Cheerios or something else that has a lot of good nutrition in it. Teach kids to make I statements. I need that block. I'm playing with it. Even though your language is not so much there as you asked about, you're making an I statement instead of he bad or giving him a hit because the teacher will be mad at you or mommy will be. Use back rubs, particularly at nap times. If a child is tense and stressed, lotion on the arms and the back and the hands. And if you have lotion that has little sparkles in it, I've had kids think that that's real magic. The other magic that one kid loved uh, was uh, just a feather duster. And when her parents and her older kids in the family were too much for her, she'd say, teacher, you better get down that feather duster because I'm mad feelings this morning. And the teacher brushed her all down with a feather duster. Magic works for little kids, Rebecca. It's amazing. If you want someone to tell you something, you don't say, why were you bad? Why were you looking so grumpy? Because most children, even at 10 years of age, cannot tell you why they hit their baby brother or why they spit out that food. They Even when they have language, which you've been asking me about, they can't tell you why. Actually, one of my colleagues at Rutgers did a beautiful uh, research on answers to the why question. And children in a very low income area, children who were struggling in class, those who could answer the why questions the best were doing better in class at the same IQ levels. Isn't that interesting? And yet parents will say, why did you hit your baby brother? Why did you come in when I called you? Do you notice that? So that's really important to help parents ask Socratic open-ended questions that give power to a child to express his or her feelings. Act as if you're a little puzzled. Sometimes I act as if I don't understand and only the child can explain it to me. Make sure that when you want to teach your child something, all the prerequisites are in place. I've had people who have family daycare. They only have five or six children. It's not a big center. If you lose one or two children, you're losing your livelihood, Rebecca. And they've come and said, Dr. Honig, she said, if I didn't toilet train her child at 12 months, she'd take her kid out. That's how I make my living, Dr. Honig. Then you say to the parent, something we call AL, active listening. You really wish your kid were child trained and, and learning to use it, a potty and out of diapers. That's such a nuisance when you're a hardworking parent. So first you do AL, so you're on the side of the parent. Let's see if all the prerequisites for what? This is toilet learning. Let's do the prerequisites. Oh, when we get all those prerequisites in place, we'll be able to do good toilet learning work with that child, you and I. Do you see, instead of saying we don't do this in this facility, you're wrong to a parent. We make a partnership, we do active listening, and we look for prerequisites. Teach your child about same and different. I have a client whom I never met 
that. My people called me up and say, Dr. Honig, I read your books. I have a terrible trouble after divorce. I take my child to the mall and he says, mom doesn't go to that store. Mom doesn't go to this fast food place. Mom buys that kind of toy. And I said, talk to your child and tell your five-year-old, sometimes we have the same places we go to, the same foods, the same toys, and sometimes we have different choices. By the way, same and different are on the intelligence test for children at age four. Do they teach you that when you had a kid? No. Okay, so this is on every intelligence test. I'm not talking about something that an older kid should know. Same and different is something kids are required to know on the IQ Stanford Binet test. But same and different made such a difference that that Gentlemen did not have to do more long distance work with me because it worked like a charm. Mama went into certain stores. He went into different stores. He sometimes served hot dogs with ketchup. She sometimes served it with mustard. Sometimes she wanted a bun. Sometimes she did wanted it differently without a bun. Oh, same and different. That's really important for grownups to know when they get married, I think, that some things we want the same, like he's a night owl and you get up early in the morning. We have different, same and different schedules. Okay. Use chance and rhythms. If you want your kid to change from where he's playing hard with toys to go outside because you need to go shopping, or you want him to put on a lot of outer clothes where it's cold outside and he's been feeling comfortable without, use a chance. Soon we're going to be going outside. Soon we'll need to put on our snowsuit and our gloves and our boots on our one foot and a boot on the other foot. What else will we need? So we change voice tones and right away it makes you smile because chants make us smile and songs make us smile. And for cleaning up toys, there's nothing better than soon we'll need to clean up our toys. I wonder where the blue blocks go. The red blocks? No way, mommy. No way, daddy. Those are blue blocks. These are red blocks. No kid is telling you I'm five. I know my colors very Teach children, can I read to you and diaper the new baby at the same time? Because older children often get very jealous and look, they show their stress by wanting a bottle. Rebecca, they show their stress, their toilet has been dry and now they're wetting again. If your kid asks for a little bottle of water like this, big deal. If you have a new baby, they're not going to drink from a bottle of water all the time. They know how to drink from a cup. But what's so terrible if they see the baby getting the, the, the bottle and you give them a little water in a bottle? Big deal. And so it's really important to ask a child, can I read to you and diaper the baby? And also say, I love to read to you. When we're all finished and baby's comfortable, I put her down for her nap and then I'll be able to read to you. You go find one of your favorite books, okay? And then a lot of parents use a tool called time out. You know that, Rebecca. So go to your room, go sit in the chair. If you have been taught to use that tool, I would like to point out that you can use it if you really feel so stressed yourself and try to use it not as a time out, but a teach in time. What is the child learning? You know, Dennis the Menace cartoons, his mother always sits him in a corner in every Sunday comics that I read very assiduously. I love the Sunday comics. They teach you what the world is like. But does she ever say to Dennis the Menace, this is what I was worried about, I statement. And if you sit here for a while, then it's a learning place and it's a thinking chair, sweetheart. And you can think about what happened and then tell me how you could do it differently or think about it differently. I never see that in the Dennis and the Menace thing. That's why he always goes down the block because the lady down the block gives him cookies. She's very nurturing to him. I'll never forget one of the cartoons where he went down the block, Dennis the Menace, and he had a present for her. It was the toy in his Cracker Jack box because she was so good to him. I loved that. In a child care, when you're going to look for child care, you want to use all of the 
tools that I've said in my Best for Babies book. But you also want to make sure there's a place where if your child is vulnerable and a very sensitive child, because some kids are far more sensitive than others, is there a place where the teachers can still see that child, like a cubby hole or even a box that you've taken from a TV set and put some soft cloths on the inside and pasted them in, where that kid can sit and watch for a while and not have to be part of that group for eight hours a day while you're at your work environment. Because sometimes kids need a breather. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. Thank you so much for joining us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Dr. Alice Honig. Dr. Honig is a psychologist and a professor emerita at Syracuse University. She has presented her work in early childhood development, childcare, and education nationwide and in many countries around the world. Her contributions to the field have included research, academia, and advocacy and training for parents and caregivers. Since the 1960s, Dr. Honig has been involved in the study of child development, quality of infant-toddler care, iron deficiency in infants, parent-child relationships, children's social development, and the effects of poverty in children. For over 45 years, Dr. Honig has authored and edited more than a dozen books and more than 600 articles and chapters. Two of those books are Little Kids, Big Worries, Stress-Busting Tips for Early Childhood Classrooms, and more recently, Best for Babies, Expert Advice for Caregivers and Administrators in Assessing Infant-Toddler Programs. Thank you so much for joining us on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Dr. Alice Honig. And don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, next Sunday morning at 7.30 for part three of our interview with Dr. Alice Honig.